Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and it is good to be here with you. And uh, oh, thanks, Jason and uh, Elia. Um, you know, no matter how, whatever version of the Lord's Prayer you were brought up in, it is really hard to get out of that, isn't it? And so, uh, but thank you for leading us. And also good to have uh, Christina Barnes here today, a child of the church who is uh, singing along with us today. And uh, so that was wonderful. And uh, to have the McDonald's, it's great to uh, have people come and, and use their gifts. And so we are very thankful uh, for that. So um, we're excited about this is kind of the week leading up, of course, to Christmas Eve. And, you know, last week there's a chance I said it was going to be 50 and sunny on Christmas Eve. And there's also a chance that this morning I read something about an Arctic surge coming on Christmas Eve. And so, I, you know, but who knows? Santa can't get here without an Arctic surge. So, um, so I do hope to see many of you on Thursday evening. And uh, if not, then I hope to see uh, you virtually. hope that you can see us virtually uh, over the video. But I think it's going to be a, a unique week, to be sure. So, all right. So uh, before I kind of dive into this passage today, I want to give a little bit of context. And um, I was thinking about this. You know, we were going through different parts of Isaiah during Advent, during the Advent season. And which is wonderful, but sometimes it can kind of be hard to know exactly what it is that we're talking about because we're just kind of diving in, and that's certainly the case today. And so as I was thinking about, well, I should give some context to this, some background, and then I started doing that, thinking about doing it, and I realized it was almost getting more confusing than it was beforehand. And, uh, and so I tried to do it anyways. At the 8 o'clock, it felt like it was still really confusing anyways, but I'm going to do it anyways because 9.30, I mean, you guys are ready, right? You're, yeah, okay, yeah, not much. Nah, that was, no, that's weak. Okay, so so let me just try to give you a quick context. To help, I have a map. Because who doesn't love a map? I almost brought a laser pointer, but I decided that might be too much. So let me just quickly, and again, if, even if it doesn't help you today, it may help you overall, because sometimes this is really confusing in the Old Testament. So you have, as you can see here, blue is the kingdom of Israel. The uh, yellow is the kingdom of Judah. But it's actually all kind of Israel, which is why it gets kind of confusing. After Solomon, uh, it was divided up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which they kept calling Israel, or Ephraim, which is, makes it confusing, and then the southern kingdom of Judah, which includes Jerusalem. Now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that we've been saying that Assyria has been coming in and giving uh, the people of Israel and Judah much trouble. And you can see the Assyrian Empire up there on the northeast. That's kind of where they were coming from. Uh, so what happened was you had the kingdom of Israel and Syria, not Assyria, Syria, which is also called the kingdom of Aram. That's why this all gets very confusing. They decide they're going to team up. They're going to partner to try to take on the Assyrians, try to defend themselves before the Assyrians. But they said, you know, what would be even better is if we get the kingdom of Judah on board as well. So they talked to the kingdom of Judah. King Ahaz was the king of that. And they said, hey, will you join us? But Ahaz was kind of a very diplomatic, very kind of pragmatic person. He didn't really like to partner up with anyone, including God, it seems. Uh, and so he was already trying to get a peace treaty with Assyria and not even use Israel or or uh, or Syria. And so he was like, no, nah, I think we're just going to we're good. We're going to stay on our own which didn't make the people, the northern kingdom or Syria very happy. So they decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to attack you, Judah. And so that's what they're starting to do. And that made everyone very nervous. In fact, uh, I won't read it, but verse 2 uh, says, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind, which I think is just great imagery. So Ahaz is kind of nervous. And God says, you know what? I don't want you to be nervous, Ahaz. I want you to know I'm here to help. 
And so he sends Isaiah, the prophet. And the prophet Isaiah is supposed to go and make him feel better. But what we begin to discover, and this is kind of why I wanted to let you know about this, is that Ahaz, Ahaz really kind of wants to do this on his own. He doesn't really want anyone's help, including God's help. And you should know that as I kind of read this, because it might seem otherwise as I read this. But I'm going to read this from chapter 7, and then you guys can, and then we'll kind of just begin to talk through it a little bit. So here's how it begins. It says this, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. In other words, if you need a sign that everything's going to be okay, I will give you that. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the time himself, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings, the northern kingdom and Syria, you are in dread will be deserted. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would help us to understand this passage from long ago. That you would unearth what it might mean for us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, if I was going to name this sermon, and I don't ever really title my sermons, but if I was going to, I, I think I would call it Two Warnings and a Gift. Two Warnings and a Gift. So what, what are the warnings? Well, the first warning is this. Be wary of using pious language in which you are simply trying to fool yourself or fool others or even fool God. So what do I, what do I mean by that? Well, Ahaz here seems to be using very good, pious language, right? Uh, the Lord comes and says, hey, if you want to, you know, if you want, I'll give you a sign. And, and what does Ahaz say? Ahaz says, oh, God, I dare not test you. Which sounds good, right? Until you, as I said before, until you begin to understand Ahaz. And, and then you also begin to poke holes in this piety because, remember, it's the Lord himself who's saying, I will give you a sign. And he says, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't need a sign, God. Um, and, and it's like, well, it's probably okay to test God if God's saying, will, will you please do this, right? I, I will give you a sign, right? So he's kind of trying to out God, God. And anytime you try to out God, God, it usually doesn't end well. Um, but, but then also you kind of see that they're seeing right through him by what Isaiah says. I love what Isaiah says. He says, it's bad enough that you make people tired with your pious, timid hypocrisies, but now you are making God tired, in other words, I know exactly what it is that you're doing, Ahaz, and we know that this language is not really very helpful. Now, I bring that up because I do think that we, and both of these warnings are primarily for people in the church, we oftentimes use pious language in order to try to fool others or ourselves or to fool God. One of the ways I think we see that a lot is when we have a big decision to make, you know, and so you're like, okay, we got a big decision to make. And, and you may already know exactly what it is that you want to do and what you're going to do. But we also know that as Christians, we have to say something. So what do we almost always say? We always say, 
okay, I, you know what, before we make this decision, we should really blank about it, pray about it, right? And we see, use this language, and we're like, oh, okay, sure, that's fine. And, uh, but then it, it, it's funny that God always kind of gives us or, de- or decides is, is in line with what we want. I notice this sometimes. I'll throw pastors underneath the bus. Pastors do this a lot. Um, I, I've seen some, um, some good pastor colleagues and people that I like, um, you know, who, who every two or three years, they keep, they keep moving churches, and it keeps being a little bit bigger, and they keep getting paid a little bit more at each of those churches. And it's just amazing how the Lord, every time they pray about it, the Lord's like, yes, you should go to a bigger church making more money. It's rare that I see a pastor pray and all of a sudden he or she decides to go to a smaller church, right? And so it's just kind of fascinating. Not, not every pastor that does that, surely. And all of us in one frame or one sense, you know, are guilty of this. But I just think it's important for us just to be really honest about how often that happens, which is why... How do, we, how do we get around this? One of the things we do, of course, is we have good people around us who can kind of call us on our stuff to say, are you sure this is really what the Lord is telling you? Um, I, one of the reasons why I actually, and, and I hope my mother watches the 8 o'clock. I didn't say this at 8 rather than this service, but when I was raised in the Pentecostal church, one of the things that always gave me pause, right, was because, because man, it was amazing how many things the Lord told people around me about me that I had never heard about, right, that just said, the Lord told me this, that you should do this right? Which is like not that helpful um, um, a lot of times. So sometimes it's helpful, but, but it, it takes kind of all of us together, I think at times, right? To, to say, okay, is this really discerning? One of the things that we want to do when we're, when we're using language like this is to make sure that we're, that we're with others who can kind of challenge us to make sure that we're really hearing from the Lord and not just from ourselves or even not just from somebody else. So, so we see this with, with Isaiah, right? And Isaiah is really good at this, right? Let me just, you know, it's bad enough that you make people tired with your pious, timid hypocrisies. Now you're making God tired. You know, Isaiah maybe could have said that a little bit more softly, but you know, it's still good to have people there who are kind of telling you, okay, yes, you know what? I believe that this is also, I I do think this is perhaps what the Lord is calling you to, or I don't think that's what the Lord is calling you to. So we see that, that Ahaz has that with Isaiah, but of course Ahaz doesn't really want to listen to that anyways. One of the things I like about this particular story is that God says, I'm going to give you a sign anyways, even if you don't want one. Right? He says, hey, you know what? You can use all this language, but God is going to be there. Even Ahaz, if you don't want God to be there, God's going to be there anyways. And so he says, I'm going to give you a sign. And what is that sign? That sign is that there's going to be a child born whose name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now here's, and I have to just do a quick little, I know sometimes people don't care about this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Here's just a, a brief little caveat, which is that in prophecies that we see in the Old Testament, a lot of times, we as Christians don't think about this, but there's, there's short-term fulfillment and there's longer-term fulfillment. So one of the things that we need to know about this is that this was speaking specifically to, uh, to Ahaz. In other words, there was a child that was there that by the time the child got old enough to know what was good or bad, that's what the prophecy is saying, that the northern kingdom and, the Syria, and Syria would no longer be a problem for them. So that's what we call a short-term fulfillment. But there's also a long-term fulfillment, which of course is more of what we as Christians think about, right? And that means that Emmanuel, God with us, is... Who do we think Emmanuel, God with us, is? This is not a trick question. Everyone, even kids know the answer is almost always Jesus, right? Okay, so it's Jesus, right? And why do we think that? Well, well, a part of it comes from the gospel writer Matthew, from the very first gospel 
Matthew looks at the story and he tells the story about Joseph uh, being told that Mary was going to give birth to a baby and that it was going to be Emmanuel. And here's what Matthew says. Right after he says that, he says, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what's happening here is that Matthew is looking back and saying, yes, surely that prophecy was there to try to help ease any discomfort or stress or fear that Ahaz had. But what we also see is it's also a sign of who Jesus is as Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this brings me to the second warning. which is that we need to be careful with how easily Emmanuel, God with us, rolls off of our tongues. Because something tells me that with great frequency, when we think about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, we think about it only within one context, right? Which is that God is here. He's going to bring me peace. He's going to bring me joy. He's going to bring me hope. He's going to bring me love. Yes, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us, Emmanuel. That's great. Now let's just let's, let's keep moving forward. That's wonderful. But Emmanuel, God with us, is more than just the God who was there to bring you comfort and hope and joy and peace. That's certainly a part of it. But Emmanuel, God with us, and I think Ahaz probably understood this, which is why he was a little bit concerned with having Emmanuel, God with us there. Like he didn't really want that sign. He didn't want any of that. Is that there's more to Emmanuel, God with us, than just those things that bring us comfort and hope. We should really probably be pretty aware of this, but we tend to not want to think about it all that much. But think about uh, Luke chapter 1. Everyone know Magnificat, the Magnificat, right? The story of of Mary's song. Mary's just been told about uh, the fact that she's going to give birth to Emmanuel. And so what does she do? She begins to sing, right? It's beautiful in many ways. We love it. It says this, he has shown strength with his arm, Mary sings out. But then she goes on, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Emmanuel, God with us, is really good news. But it might feel like less than good news if you happen to have any pride if you happen to have any power, and if you happen to have any wealth. Everyone gets so much quieter when we talk about that part of Emmanuel, God with us. But then as you keep going in Luke, and if you look to Luke chapter 2, you have Simeon. You guys remember Simeon. Simeon was the one who... Uh, said that he wouldn't die before having seen the Messiah. And so he sees the baby and he, he has this great kind of moment. You know, it's this Lion King moment, actually, where he kind of lifts up baby Jesus. And, and here's, what he, here's what he says. He says, he says, um, he says um, God with us, he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Ah, isn't that beautiful? 
And then almost like an aside, he looks over to Mary and he says, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that we will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword, he says to Mary, will pierce your own soul too. How excited are you to have all of your inner thoughts exposed to God? Yeah, raise your hands. How many of you guys are super excited about that? So when we think through Emmanuel, when we think through about God with us, certainly there are all of these parts that are wonderful, that are comforting, that gives us, that gives us peace, right? That's wonderful, that, 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 that is powerful. But there is also a part of Emmanuel, God with us, that should give us pause, that should make us uh, somewhat terrified, that should be discomforting to us. I like what Henry Nouwen says when it comes to God and our, our being desirous of his love. Here's what Henry Nouwen says. He says, naturally, we want to love and be loved by God, but we also want to keep a little corner of ourselves where we can hide and think our own secret thoughts, dream our dreams, and play with our own mental fabrications. We are often tempted to select carefully the thoughts that we bring to conversation with God. What Fred Geyser says is that perhaps we should always be thinking something like, Emmanuel, God with us, rejoice, as well as Emmanuel, God with us, beware. And I wonder how often we are good at realizing that if Emmanuel is God with us, it means that Emmanuel, God, is with all of us. Those parts when we want to be seen by him as well as those times when we would prefer not to be by, seen by him at all. I was reminded as I was thinking about this of a couple stories. One, one story that I've told you all before, so I won't go into great detail, was when I was around eight years old and we were uh, visiting, uh, we were living in Guam, we were living in, uh, we visited Tokyo for a few days and I was, you know, I got lost in the middle of Tokyo um, uh, which is, you know, rarely a good thing. It's not even good to be lost in a department store, nonetheless, uh, into a massive city. And uh, I, was, I was lost for two or three days. It's like 10 minutes, I think, but it felt like two or three days. And, but it was, it was absolutely terrifying, right? It's one of, those, one of those memories that you have when you're a kid that you will never forget, right? And so I was just kind of, you know, I was looking for my parents, right? Which I, it would have been easy to see because there weren't that many people that looked like us, quite honestly, right? So it was just, you know, and, and I realized just how different I looked and people were staring at me. And so I was like, don't cry, don't cry. Because if you cry, the policeman will take you away. You'll never see your parents again. And it was, it was absolutely terrifying. And I, I even went down into a subway station because I had heard that we were going to take a subway someplace. And I looked around there and that place was bustling there was no sign of my parents. So I came back up and I went over it. There, there's this massive building and I leaned up against it and I just kind of crumpled down to the ground. And I just finally, then the tears just began to just pour out. It was just about that time as the tears were just kind of flying that I looked to the street corner and there about halfway up a light pole was my dad. And he was just, and he was, and he was just holding on to that. You could just see him, you know, that look, you know, of, of distress. And, he, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's looking for me. 
thank you, right? And finally, he looked at me, and he saw me, you know, over there, and, and he just jumped down, and he ran over, and that embrace, right, that, that is a feeling that I will take to the grave, that moment of having been seen by my dad, and, and that feeling of him there being close, it was incredible. And then, two years later, as my memory was reminding me this past week, I was reminded of, of how um, I had um, a, a retainer called a binator. Anyone remember the binator? I think they've gone the way of the mastodon. Here is what it was. It, 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 it wouldn't clip. It was a retainer that, this will make sense in a second. It was a retainer that, that, that wouldn't like lock into the top or the bottom. It was just loose. It was just one thing. And a 10-year-old boy was supposed to keep that in there and keep his teeth closed all the time and learn how to talk like a ventriloquist, right? <laughs> it was a nightmare, right? I mean, you can hear, nobody could understand me. It was just, it was horrible, right? So there was no way that I was going to do it. So all I did was just play with it all the time. I was chewing on the plastic, I was biting on the metal. I mean, there was, it was a nightmare. Well, of course, after you chew on it and bite on it, everything they tell you not to do, it broke, right? And my parents, you know, I've said this before, my father, I mean, just, just incredible tightwad. He was not happy because it cost a lot of money to fix this thing, right? So they fixed it, and then he was like, this better not happen again. So I don't know how long it was, several weeks, maybe several months later, of course, breaks again. The little metal thing comes out, and I cannot tell you the terror that I felt. And my stomach, I was just getting sick. I felt like the world around me was moving. And so as soon as I got home, even though my father wasn't getting home for a while, as soon as I got home, I found a place to hide because I knew I was going to be there for the rest of my life. And so I, I found a place to hide. I remember it even to this day. It was this little, this little swivelly chair that we had. And I sat there and I just said, please, I pray that my dad never sees me, that he never finds me. Because I know the kind of embrace he is going to give me is not the kind of embrace that I want. And here's the thing. My father was the same, right? He was the exact same person. He still loved me. He still cared about me. All those things. But man, in one situation, right, when I desperately needed him and I was like, please find me. I was, I was desperate to have him find me. Here I am. Embrace me. And in this other situation where I had something I wanted to hide, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was ever be seen by him. I wanted to have nothing to do with my father right then. What I want to suggest is that many of us have that exact same relationship with God with Emmanuel, God with us. And it's like a relationship that a 10-year-old would have with a parent. That when things, we are in need, or when things are going okay, hey, all right, God, yeah, absolutely, please see me here. This is great. You and I, we're in a good place. But in those moments when we are hiding things, when there are things that we don't want to see, or when we already know exactly what we want to do, but we really don't want God involved because he might change uh, what we do, then we just, kind of, we just kind of tuck away. We just kind of hide away. Oh, we don't really want Emmanuel God with us then. We only want Emmanuel God with us when things are going really well or when we really need him, not when we want to be in control or when there are things for which we want to hide. And so as I thought about that, I realized, and this is going to sound really weird, but I think this week is actually the 
perfect week to be incredibly countercultural when it comes to the week before Christmas, including countercultural in the church. Which is that as you spend, and I know you guys are still doing that 15 minutes of meditation, am I right? Well, it's quiet. The 8 o'clock is more Christian than you. So um, I'm just kidding. Um, I want you to spend five of those minutes doing this. I want you to spend five of those minutes in confession. I want you to spend five of those minutes saying, okay, if Advent, if this is Advent is really about Emmanuel, God with us, then what that means is that a part of what I have to do is to be willing to offer up things to God that I am uncomfortable with, things that I would prefer God never to see. As strange as it may seem, Advent is actually the perfect season, not just to celebrate the fact that the Lord has come, not just to think about hope and joy and love and peace, but also, of course, to say we need to be a time of confession where we can say, Lord, there are things that we are trying to hold back. There are things that we are trying to hide from you. And we don't want to be like a 10-year-old with this parent. We want to be able to say, here, God, take all of this. But here is where we also get to the gift. Because one of the things that happens, it seems to me, one of the reasons why, of course, we are fearful of giving these things to God is because we are not fully convinced that God would continue to love us if we did so. And so we think, well, God, we'll show you these parts of us because we know that you, you'll still love us. But, but, but if you knew all about these things, we're afraid that you, that you don't or that you won't. And as I thought about that, I was reminded of, of something that my youngest daughter, our five-year-old daughter, has been doing over the last, I don't know, month or so, which is this kind of little playful dialogue that she's wanting to do. I don't think she picked it up from any of her sisters. I, I think it just kind of gives us some insight into what she's thinking about. It's a game where she says, um, um, would, you, would you love me? Would you love me? And so last week we were playing it uh, right after we, we, we had been wrestling for a little while. She loves to wrestle for some reason. And so we're wrestling and I had her pinned down because I always win. I'm not letting them win. And so um, I don't get parents that let their children win. I don't I, and It's probably rude of me, but uh, they're going to earn it. So I had her pinned down, you know, I was about a foot, you know, above her. And I was just like, ha ha, well, I did the whole one, two, three, I win kind of thing. And she was looking up at me. So she said, Daddy. And I said, yeah, sweetie. Would, would you still love me if I was mean to you? I said, yeah, of course, sweetie. I'd still love you if you were mean to me. Okay. Daddy, yeah. would you still love me if I poked your eye out? be a pirate kind of love, I guess, but uh, yeah, but of course, baby, I'd still love you, okay? Daddy, and this gets kind of gross, would you love me if I spit on you? And I thought, okay, let's not do that. But as gross as that would be, yes, I would still love you. I think kind of this, this thing that she's playing with in her mind is just asking, is there a limit? Is there something that I could do, Dad, that then you would no longer love me? And I didn't really think about it in the moment. I don't really think 
through that deeply about things, but in many ways, of course, what I was doing is, 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 is I'm giving her this gift. Not to be free then to do any of those things, but this gift of knowing that no matter what, you will always be loved by me. You can bring anything. I may not like it. It may make me sad. But I will always love you. I think in these times when we decide to hide things from God rather than to offer them up, we are denying him the opportunity to give us this incredible gift of saying, no matter what, I will still love you. And so what I want to encourage you to do then this particular week is I want to encourage you to spend five minutes, to spend five minutes saying, I am going to confess, I am going to admit that there are these things that I am not getting right, that there are these things that I am trying to hide. And every time you do, I want you to think about a parent and a child. I want you to think about you as a parent, if you're a parent looking to your child or your parent looking at you, and I want you to remember that every time that you admit this, every time that you are honest about that, that God is sitting there and God is saying, I still love you. There is nothing that you can do that will keep me from loving you. That is why I am Emmanuel, God with us. God with all of us. And my hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers, is that as you do that over these next several days leading up to Christmas Eve and to Christmas Day, that you will be able to offer yourself more freely and receive the incredible gift of knowing that God is with us and that God loves us no matter what. It's in your name we pray as we pray now. Amen? All right. Dear God, please be with us in this time. We pray that your spirit would be upon us, that you would not allow us to think that we could hide anything from who you are. Lord, so often we think about hope and joy and love and peace. But I pray that you would help us also, Lord, to be able to offer up to you anything that we may think that we are hiding. We could then be reminded that your love goes so much deeper than we could ever imagine. That is why you are Emmanuel, God with us. God with